In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you had all paid attention to our opening collect, our psalm, our New Testament reading, our gospel reading, and our gospel hymn, then you'll probably know that today is what has been come to be called Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, the Good Shepherd is one of the many pictures we have in Scripture that characterizes our relationship to Christ. Insofar as he is the shepherd, we who follow him are the sheep of his flock. Uh, this is an image of our relationship to God that can uh, as easily be characterized using precious moments figurines as it can classical iconography. Uh, thankfully, we have an instance of the latter on our uh, front door there, uh, and I haven't found any of the former in this place yet. But in this Easter season, we, focused on, we focus on some of the ramifications or entailments of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we read through the Acts of the Apostles in this season, we see the manner in which the earliest Christian communities are gathered together around the good news of the resurrection. Today in our reading from uh, the Revelation to St. John, we, we catch a glimpse of this ultimate eschatological triumph of Christ over the forces of darkness. Moreover, we take a few glances back in hindsight at some of the things that Jesus said and did in his pre-resurrection career to reinterpret them in light of this freshly discovered idea, this freshly discovered fact of his resurrection um, from the dead. Hence, this Sunday, we participate in one such retrospection as we read this vignette from John 10, where Jesus, Jesus likens himself to a good shepherd. So I'd like to think with you this morning about Christ's resurrection identity as the good shepherd who draws his sheep into a flock. This flock is represented, however, not just in an abstract sense, like all Christians everywhere, but this flock is fully manifested in and through this very flock of all souls, in which we individuals are embraced as sheep uh, in the flock of Jesus Christ. So uh, what I want to do is look at the Good Shepherd story in light of the resurrection, and I think in so doing, we see how the resurrection opens the door, so to speak, for a deeper understanding of our relationship with all Christians and of our relationship with one another in this very community. And in, and in so looking at this story in conjunction with our reading from the book of Revelation, I think we can elicit some, some principles that might help us to grow better into a unified flock, and thereby work with the Holy Spirit in bringing about what our collect of the day requests of God, that all your people may be gathered into one flock. So my hunch is you might know the scene that Jesus describes here in John 10 fairly well. Jesus is trying to, uh, to describe to the people, both his own followers and the religious leaders who are often his opponents, he's trying to describe to them why some of the people are following him and why some of the people are not following him. And the basic idea is that the followers of Jesus know him and recognize him as the Christ, the one whom God has sent to save the world. And those who are not following Jesus don't recognize him as such because they do not belong to him, as Christ characterizes it. So describing himself as a shepherd here and his followers as, as sheep is Jesus' way of making this point clear about who is following him and who is not. 
And maybe you know some of the background here, but the vision is, or the, the picture here is that in Jesus' day, oftentimes sheep would be kept in like a communal pen. Uh, so you have uh, the sheep of various shepherds kept together for the night in a pen, and then you know, the shepherds would come in the morning to call out his sheep, the ones that were his own, and take them out to graze. So the sheep recognized the voice of their shepherd, and thus they knew when to come when he calls. So it's a lovely image for us as individual sheep, knowing Jesus, uh, knowing the shepherd's voice, and following when he comes. Like Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But deeper than on this individual level is the communal level on which the entire group identity of the flock is based upon an appropriate response to their shepherd. We can think about this in in sheep terms. Uh, If you're a plain old sheep living in a pen, your life is pretty monotonous. You hang out in this communal pen. You hear your shepherd's voice calling your flock. You go out, eat some grass, do sheepish things, and then you come back to the pen. These sheep are all just sheep. You know, they're, they're exactly the same, except that they belong to different shepherds. It's specifically their ownership by different shepherds that constitutes their flock identity. In an instance like this, you know that as a sheep, it's not just you as an individual who is responding to the shepherd's voice. Your whole flock does so, and you do so as a member of that flock. It's a communal response, a flockful response. And so you know that as, as, you, as you walk on following the shepherd's voice, you'll never walk alone. Your, your very identity as a sheep of this flock and your participation in this larger group is constituted by your rightly recognizing the shepherd's voice. And so when the shepherd calls, all of his sheep respond. They all come. As Jesus says in verse 4, the shepherd brings out his own. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. But then as I, as I foreshadow, what, what's true here in the animal kingdom is illustrative of Jesus' followers. And Jesus himself makes this pivot in verse 14 where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Or verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So our identity as as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is constituted by our recognizing our shepherd, by our responding to his voice. But specifically in this season, in this Eastertide, we're reminded that it's not enough just to recognize Jesus as some good teacher or some charismatic religious leader. No, that's not enough. That's not recognizing Jesus as he is. Rather, we must recognize Jesus as the resurrected Christ who really suffered under Pontius Pilate, really was crucified, died, and buried, and really on the third day was resurrected from the dead. This means that we recognize Jesus as the resurrected one, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, as Paul puts it. The sheep that are us Christians recognize Jesus as the resurrected one who has defeated death and in the process of, uh, and is in the process of making all things new. And when we do so, when we recognize Christ as such, we then are fused into a people constituted by this fact, marked by this fact. Like Jesus says in verse 16, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
And once we have been so constituted as one flock based upon our resurrected shepherd, and I think that there are, there are some principles, there are three principles that I think we can elucidate from these passages we heard this morning that will help draw us into our, our one flockness. We look at some of the um, patristic uh, commentary from the church fathers on this passage. Many of the fathers identify the, the door in verse 1 uh, as the scriptures. Um, the, the thief, the deceiver does not go through the scriptures properly, but tries to circumvent them. And Jesus himself even identifies the door as himself. The, the word is who is uh, 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 indicated here. Because the good shepherd stands at the door and collects his sheep, uh, it is he uses scripture to bring the sheep to himself. Christ also does this in one of his first resurrection appearances when uh, on, on the walk to Emmaus in Luke 24. The text says that he opened the scriptures to tell his followers there about the Christ, about himself. So the flock of the good shepherd is protected by the truth about Jesus Christ found in the scriptures. Now, how do we live into that? Well, Clearly, our communal gathering on Sunday morning has the form of a scripturally-centered community. I don't think you can sit through a service here at All Souls and hear three readings from Scripture plus a metrical psalm and think that, well, Scripture is not a part of that place. Moreover, our, our, our liturgy is chock-full of scriptural allusions and quotations and appropriations, and I think the Eucharist itself, uh, the heart of our Sunday morning worship, is a clear expression of scripturally-grounded truth. But what's displayed here liturgically ought to be normative for our flock outside the bounds of these walls as well. My family and I are rather new to All Souls, so I don't know if all the house groups, you know, small groups do the same thing as ours. I think that's fine. We don't need all kind of uniformity. But one component of our uh, uniquely Christian community ought to be the role that Scripture plays in ordering and centering our communal life. So our house group has, has taken on the practice during this season of, of meditating on the gospel reading for the week prior to our gathering. As we contemplate and meditate on this passage throughout the week, we, we then use this as a means for interpreting our own spiritual lives as we share ourselves with one another when we gather. It's not the only way to do something like that, but it's one way that our flock can be grounded on Scripture. So first, flock-forming principles to be grounded in Scripture. A second principle, I suggest, is to form our flock around worship. Verse 9 here in John 10 says that the sheep that go in and out through Christ will find pasture. Now this, again, the church fathers from the patristics take as an indication of our eschatological rest, uh, our resurrection from the dead that will be our living in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity. And this, I think, provides a, a helpful pivot to look at our reading from Revelation this morning. So here again, we, we kind of we catch a glimpse of where our flock is in the Lord heading. John writes this. Hear this again. John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The Lamb, this of course is, the Lamb is the good shepherd. It's kind of layered here. Uh, and, and it goes on. And with palm branches in hand, this great multitude worships the Lamb. This picture of a future reality that is yet to come is centered around the worship of Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. Now again, we do this together on Sunday morning, but where and when else can you do this with members of our flock? 
Where else can we worship together? In our house groups, uh, at our even songs, our periodic even song services, in our prayer time? Uh, in the power of the Spirit, we need to be joined together as a flock that's guarded by Scripture and worships Christ. But in addition to Scripture and worship, one component of being um, an, an eschatologically oriented community is uh, that part of our vocation here and now is to work sort of metaphorically to reach into the future and bring aspects of Christ's culminating reign into the present. Like we need to uh, look at how things are going to be to give us a model for how things can be here and now. And this, I think, brings us to our uh, third principle of being a flock constituted by the resurrection of Christ, bringing the future into the present by growing in our relationships with one another. Again, from Revelation, our Revelation reading, this great multitude that no one can number is made up of a great diversity of people from every tribe and nation. But in the eschatological reality of the resurrection, they're all brothers and sisters in Christ, all members of the same family with Christ as the head. Our little flock here is but one small segment of this great multitude. But we have the opportunity of bringing this future eschatological family into the present. And this, in part, I think, is what we're hoping to foster with this, uh, this Aylred's Hour in our catechesis time, a time of gathering together in fellowship we had just prior to this service and that we're going to periodically have throughout the next academic year during our catechesis hour. Many of you have known each other for 10 or 15 years. Many of you have close relationships with those in your house groups. Or perhaps some of you haven't been here that long, been here as long as I have, and don't know that many people. Or, or maybe you've been here 10 to 15 years and don't know that many people. The point is, though, that if we're going to be walking on toward a, a unified eschatological family, we need to take some time in our own community life for simple times of relating, some simple times of just hanging out. And we'll have that during these periods and also periodically throughout the summer as we gather for picnics and after the service and, uh, and the like. So friends, Christ is our resurrected good shepherd. We are who are his followers, recognize him as such, and follow where he calls. And this brings us together into one flock, for we have one shepherd. From these readings, we can draw out these three principles that might help, to live, help us to live into the reality of our being one flock, that we're guarded and grounded on scripture, that we're centered on the worship of Christ, and that we relate with one another as a diverse yet unified family. And so we pray once again from our collect, requesting of God, that all your people may be gathered into one flock. Amen.